Welcome to Epic Albums. I'm Greg Potter, and Mike Gemma is with me here. Absolutely, Greg. Let's do it. How are you doing? I'm doing great today. I'm feeling good, and I'm excited about this album we're going to do today. Yeah, so on Epic Albums, we uh, listen to uh, some of our favorite records from all all time, and we uh, are going all the way back to 50s, 60s through, I don't know, we're have to figure out where we we'll stop. F- we'll figure out where this journey takes us. Yes. We'll take a look. Um, so... Uh, we listen to these albums and then kind of discuss what we think is great about these albums and maybe some of the things we think aren't so great about these albums. But absolutely, they're epic albums. And uh, we've picked one today. Mike actually suggested this album. Yes. And uh, this album I definitely think qualifies as an epic album. <laughs> it, it shows up very frequently on the uh, lists of the greatest albums of all time at number one. It's been number one on many lists over the last you know, 30, 40 years. 50 years. This album came out probably almost 60 years ago now. So Absolutely. Mike, you cue this up. What are we listening so, to? The greatest album of all time in some people's eyes. We're going back to the Beach Boys, Pet Sounds, their 11th studio album that they released. And it's widely regarded as obviously the greatest album of all time, but one of the most revolutionary albums in the history of music. 11, 11 albums. This came out in 1966 and the Beach Boys put out their first album probably in 1962. 11 albums in four years. That's pretty crazy, That's right? unbelievable. I mean, that's unheard of, really. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. And back then, they were probably just churning them out um, over, uh, you know, course of three a year or something like that. Yeah. That's actually a good point to make with this album because um, that was sort of the Beach Boys formula up until Pet Sounds came out, right? Mm-hmm. They they were known as, like, the California surf band. And I was we're gonna I was going to talk, talk to you about that. They're real... Before this album, they were really known as like fun California surf rock, right? Girls, cars, and having fun, like teen rock. Right. And then Pet Sounds comes out, and it's just completely different from anything they've ever done before. Yep. And it's they say it's the most progressive pop album of all time, and I absolutely agree with that statement. Yeah. Um, and if you think about those albums before this, they definitely had a formula to them, um, mm-hmm. and it's interesting if you read about this album. You know, they would they had a couple of songs that were their hits. You know, Surfing USA and fun, Surfer easy Girl, songs. Fun, yeah. Fun, Fun, and then they would sort of just record filler tracks around those. Right, they'd go into the studio and just record whatever other stuff they could kind of record quickly, probably in a few days, a yeah. week, and then just churn out another album so that they could get albums out into the marketplace. And the record label was you know selling a lot of product, and it was more sort of about just getting out material yeah absolutely um pet sounds definitely not that uh brian had a different strategy for this i I mean talk about production for brian wilson now during this time brian mentally was not doing well he had a lot of mental you know health problems and resigned from the tour they're about to go on tour in 1964 and brian pretty much made it his life work to make pet sounds and he took i mean he started recording we're talking about sloop john b they're recording that a year in advance before the album was even released right right so, I mean, the amount of hours and months and a year, basically, Brian took to make this album is unreal. And that's why it's one of the greatest albums that's ever been produced. Yeah, it's so. interesting if you look at some of the albums uh, right before Pet Sounds, because it didn't come out of the blue. It was definitely a progression to yeah. uh, Pet Sounds. They Absolutely. had the surf thing going on. And then, like you said, when Brian um, kind of had his uh, mental breakdown and decided not to tour anymore, yeah, um, he slowly started to pay more attention to uh, the albums and and working with studio musicians. Yes. Like you said, his introspection and his feelings, writing a little bit of different stuff. So um, we were talking before we went on the air about uh, the album from 1965, The Beach Boys Today, which which has Help Me Rhonda on it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got uh, a few other uh, Dance, Dance, Dances on that 
album, which yeah. still, still sort of feels like an early sort of Beach, uh, Boys, Beach Boys feel to it. Yeah, but there was a couple tracks on there that sort of were a little bit more progressive, less about surfing in cars and about relationships and yes. stuff like that. So he was slowly making a progression, and then and then California Girls came yeah. out before Pet Sounds. That sort of has a little bit more of a yeah. intricate musical arrangement uh, to it. Um, and if you read the Wikipedia p- uh, page about uh, Pet by Sounds, the way, the longest Wikipedia page you'll ever see oh in my your gosh. life. There's I mean, a lot of it was ridiculous. My thumb got hurt from scrolling. I mean, it was <laughs> yes. absolutely absurd. But yeah. So they yeah. talked about a couple of singles that uh, came out before uh, Pet Sounds. One of them was called uh, "The Little Girl I Once Knew." I don't know if you've listened to that song. Great, great, great song. tune. And it's again, it sort of has a little bit of that feel where he re- didn't record it with the Beach Boys playing the instruments. No. It was the studio guys. Um, and important to note, I think that uh, one of Brian's biggest influences when he was working on this was Phil Spector. I was going to talk about the the Wall of Sound, yeah. yep, and Gold Star Records, yep, where. Yep. Be My Baby by the Ronettes was also recorded as well. He was obsessed with that distinctive sound, and Wouldn't It Be Nice is heavily filled with the wall of sound. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, You hear uh, read stories and seen documentaries about Brian's wife at the time, Marilyn, who uh, said she would, like almost went completely nuts because he would just play Be My Baby on repeat over yeah. and over and over again all night yeah. long in his house. I mean, house. it's a great song, though. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, great tune. So he obviously was inspired by that sound and wanted to recreate that wall of sound with this record, went to the same studios. He recorded at Gold Star, like you said, where mm-hmm. Phil Spector recorded, and he recorded at this other studio in California called Western. Yeah. And used a lot of the same musicians that were on those uh, early Phil Spector records. They were, they were called The Wrecking Crew. Okay. Um, so some of the uh, musicians in there are hugely famous. Hal Blaine was a drummer who played on a lot of those things and played on lots of other records. Um, Absolutely. Really and then um, there's been a lot of uh, conversation over the years, too, about the bass player or one of the bass players on uh, Pet Sounds and some of Brian's later work. And she played on Good Vibrations. So her name's Carol Kay, yeah. who is one of the only female musicians in the, the Wrecking Crew and um, she's a phenomenal player. Yeah. Um, came up with some really inventive bass lines. And that's one of the things on Pet Sounds that I notice a lot when I'm listening to it is that the bass lines are so mm. melodic. They are. And just go all over the place. They're not like just typical groove-based bass no, lines. They're yeah. very melody-based. 100% agree. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So um, a lot of background there. We could go on probably uh, for yeah. another hour talking yeah. about the background and how this was recorded. And Brian yeah. produced this record. And I was telling Mike uh, on our way to the studio today about the uh, Beach Boys uh, Pet Sounds box set that came out probably 25 or 30 years ago now. It came out when I was in college, maybe in the 90s. Um, but it's a four-disc set that has a lot of sessions, and you can hear Brian producing the record and talking to the musicians and kind of walking them through, and he was totally in control. I mean, he was amazing. He knew what he wanted to hear, um, and he wasn't a classically trained musician, but he got in the studio and kind of arranged all of the different instruments and worked with the musicians to create this sound himself. He just had that ear for... for, Some people just have it. Brian Wilson had that ear for what melodies were in his head, and finished product was already in his head. So people throw around the term genius with Brian Wilson all the time, but maybe it's justified. Maybe it's justified. He was a troubled genius, for sure. Oh, definitely. Um, definitely. And as you said, he was having some troubles around the time that this uh, album was recorded. Yeah. And um, and the funny thing about this album is when the guys came back, uh, definitely a movie you should watch, Love and Mercy, Beach Boys di- biopic on Brian Wilson. When the guys came back from the tour, the 1964 tour, when they went around the world, they were doing their thing, and Brian played a couple tracks for them. They were like, what What the hell is going on here, bro? Like, this right. is not a guy who's okay. Like, what are we doing? You know, we're singing about, you know, 
going out on a, you know Saturday night driving cars and now you're talking about introspection and you know relationships. Yeah, so love lost. Yeah, and, it was definitely yeah. different from anything they ever done. But Brian had a vision and. It's yeah, as they say, the rest is history. Yeah. So, so worth mentioning, um, his collaborator on this for most of the lyrics was a guy named Tony Asher. Yeah. Um, and if I recall correctly from reading about him a little bit on Wikipedia, he was he like wrote for like TV commercials or something like that. Or I read that too. It was yeah. a lot of TV commercials, and then I don't even know. And then Brian and him collaborated on this album, and he obviously played a huge part in this album with Brian. Yeah, and if you this. if you dive deep into the Beach Boys catalog, which I have, I'm an enormous fan. Yeah. Brian Wilson is not the greatest lyricist when he's working on his no, own. No, and so, it's funny you say that. We'll talk about a song that only took him 45 minutes to write. One of the songs that is in our top three. We'll, yeah, we'll get yeah. into that. Yeah, yeah. Which is unbelievable to me. Yeah. I mean, um, But working with Tony Asher certainly allowed him to uh, collaborate with someone to express, and the lyrics are incredible on this album. A lot of oh, yeah. kind of yearning, introspection, like you said. So mm-hmm. uh, um, why don't we jump in? So uh, Mike and I talked on the way. What we do on uh, Epic Albums is uh, each one of us picks what we think are our top three tracks. And obviously this album has so much uh, heavy-duty material, it's kind of yeah. hard to even... It's- not say easy. that it was one not song easy. is better than another, but um, we joke because our musical tastes are probably too similar. Yeah, so we it, never argue on this show because we like the same thing. Yeah, but um, our top three was exactly the same. Yep. So uh, cue us up on your number three. So number three, um, this was actually a Bahamian folk song that was written in the early 1900s, and Brian loved this song. He discovered it. And absolutely adored it. And he turned it really to a, a modern rock pop song, obviously. And it's probably, I would say, their, like we talked about, their third best song on the album. And there was a 12-string electric guitar in the song as well, you'll definitely hear, which is unheard. I, I didn't even know that's possible. Yeah, but yeah. you brought Brian Wilson with the Trouble Genius finding a way to make that work. Um, this is a fantastic song. And before I get into it, the lead singer, Al Jardine, said this is one of the more interesting songs he's ever done. A lot of more... Different, just different from anything he's ever done. So Sloop John B is the song. John B. from the Beach Boys from uh, Pet Sounds. It's the album we're talking about uh, here on Epic Albums today. And uh, we were just chatting a little bit about the vocals. Obviously, it's you know kind of goes without saying that the Beach Boys were um, incredible vocalists. Mm-hmm. A big part of that was Brian Wilson's ability to arrange vocals. And yeah. um, he was a big fan of uh, a 50s vocal group called The Four Freshmen. Yes. If, if you haven't listened to them, you should listen. It's it's kind of interesting digging into a little bit of the four freshman stuff because you can hear how much he pulled from their style and huge inspiration uh, for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, the the other thing I think that is exceptional about the Beach Boys vocals was not only Brian's arranging, but um, the fact that three of them were brothers: Carl, and, Dennis, and and Brian. Brian. Yeah, and as you go through and uh, think about like those acts in music history that are. Blood related, family related, like the Everly brothers and others. There's something about those guys singing together, or the women singing. It feels right. The Andrews sisters. I don't know if you ever listened to that stuff from like the 40s. When you have that like genetic 
uh, it just meshes bond. well beautifully it's together. It's incredible. I mean, they just blend together so well because their voices are so similar. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. We were talking about how they're one of those rare groups where all those guys, even Mike Love and Al Jardine, with Carl, Dennis, and Brian, all of them could be lead singers in their own right from any other band. Right, right. I mean, it's just so talented vocally and unbelievable. So usually what we do on uh, Epic Albums also is just talk a little bit about wh- how we got introduced to this album. So, Mike, what's what's your experience with this? So I remember I was about, in, I was really young. I was probably 12 years old, 13 years old. And my Uncle Sam, huge inspiration for a lot of the music I listen to, Uncle Sam, said to me one day, I was, we were just talking about, I don't even know what we are talking about, music, and you know, we are probably talking about Sinatra, a huge fan of his, Frank Sinatra. And he was like, you should really listen to the Beach Boys. You should give them a listen. And I go, really? Okay. You know what I mean? At the time, I was like, okay, the Beach Boys, that sounds like a fun group. But I started out with their young, uh, uh, you know, early albums. I'm like, oh, yep. okay, I get around, fun, fun, fun. California Girls, like, oh, they're a fun group. And then I got to Pet Sounds, and I was just absolutely blown away. I said, this is just a different level of production, different level of everything. I, I fell in love with them ever since. Yeah, yeah. I knew right then and there, I'm like, this is a group that I absolutely, yeah, Beach Boys for me, any day of the week. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I had a similar experience when I was growing up in the late 70s or early 80s. I got um, my hands on a copy of that um, greatest hits album that came out in 1974 called Endless Summer. It was a double album of early hits. Yeah. Um, and I liked that a lot. Same had all, you know, fun, 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 and I get around and all that stuff on there. And um, I had a babysitter when I was, <laughs> oh, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. It was a, a friend of my uh, family. It was, and it was a guy. He was a um, big music fan. Okay. And uh, I was over at the house one time um, when I was over with him for a few hours, and he uh, gave me some records. And he's like, I don't really want these records anymore. You can take them. And it was like a Paul McCartney record and a Cheap Trick record. And, and I was like, like well, why don't you want these? Yeah, I, I mean, what's these. going on here? And then, and then he was like, have you ever heard this? And he put on Pet, Pet Sounds. Sounds. And you knew um, right then and there. Yeah, as soon yeah. as it came on, I was like... Um, wouldn't it be nice came on and it just totally blew my mind. I'm like, this is the greatest song ever. And then, the, <laughs> yeah. the, but it, I was about eight years old and the rest of the album, I was a little bit like confounded by. Yeah. Cause you couldn't really, it, it's a deep, it's a deep album. Yeah. That's a deep, yeah. to, you gotta be older to really understand and yeah. appreciate it. And then in high school, I think I went through another phase where I just like went all in on Beach Boy stuff and started listening to the entire catalog. And that's when I pulled Pet Sounds back out. I had a cassette of Pet Sounds. I got at Kmart in my hometown. <laughs> And I used to listen to that in the car once I started driving, and I'm yeah. like, wow, this album is incredible. Oh, yeah. yeah, It's phenomenal. So our number two song is um, the same also. Same so, song. Yeah. Again, no debate here, no controversy, unfortunately. Pretty smooth sailing so far. Yep. Hopefully maybe in a couple other albums we'll, we'll get some serious debates going. But uh, the next song um, was actually wrote in 45 minutes, which is fascinating because the lyrics are phenomenal and it's not a simple melodic song no. either it's fairly inventive and complex yes it is um and it's also this song one of the first commercial songs at that time to use god in the title mm-hmm. right and which was at the time was crazy right like he you know i mean that that was un, unheard of you know and the thing about this song is obviously i mean paul mccartney what Paul McCartney is saying, it's the best song ever written. That means you're doing something right, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We should talk a little bit about the Beatles' connection to this in that um, Brian contends that um, what he was trying to do with Pet Sounds and when he was focusing on studio recording and not touring anymore and really trying to hone his art hone his, and his yes, craft, his, yes. 
um, he heard the uh, Rubber Soul album. And he was like, I got it. I got to match him. I yeah. Gotta, and he felt like there was no filler on that album. Like he said, it wasn't an album like we used to do where we'd do like a few good songs. Then we just filled it with a bunch of other stuff to like every fill out an album so that we could get something out. And a was meeting. Like, yeah. Every song had a purpose. Every song was really well thought out and yes. crafted. And uh, he's like, I need to do that, too. So uh, he was certainly inspired by that. And Paul McCartney also speaks to uh, the idea that they sort of had a friendly competition where Pet Sounds then inspired them to do some of the work that they did on Revolver and Sgt. Pepper and whatnot. So a really cool kind of uh, rivalry and inspiration going on between an American band and an English band, two of the biggest bands ever. Yeah. I mean, you can't tell the story of music without those two. Yeah. Yeah. And he got the inspiration, this song, from Johann Sebastian. Um, and it was from a song, You Didn't Have to Be So Nice, the vocal layering on that song. He fell in love with it and said, I need to make a song that's similar to this. And sat down, wrote God Only Knows. And the funny thing about this song is, in the movie Love and Mercy, he's playing this on the piano. You know, he's playing it, he's singing it to himself. And his dad happens to walk in, his dad, Murray Wilson, who was a psychopath. He was just, anything Brian yeah. ever did was never good enough. He was extremely hard on them, extremely hard on the guys. And he's playing the song, and his dad's like, oh, this is terrible. This, what is this going to be? This is not going to be anything. Happen, happens to be one of the greatest songs that's ever been yeah. released. Yeah. It's just funny to me how that, that happens. I may not always love you, but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. God only knows what I'd be without you. God only knows there. Mm. We were talking a little bit about the percussion while we were listening to that. Um, and uh, just the use of different percussion instruments and the variety of instruments you used on there. There was a reference in the Wikipedia page to a genre in the 60s called exotica. Yeah. Um, that was sort of lounge music with a lot of exotic instruments on it. It's kind of like a, a thing of the 1960s. I have a few of uh, Martin Denny's albums called Exotica, Volumes 1, 2, 3, that are kind of fun to listen to, but they certainly influence yeah. Brian. But some of the use of the percussion on there, it's almost like he's got different world beat uh, influences just very subtly coming in there that I think is an yeah. outgrowth of that Exotica movement, which is kind of cool. Absolutely. Now, the percussion definitely in this song, particular god only knows is you could hear the different elements of different you know percussion instruments being yeah, played yeah so. yeah so um we should talk a little bit about uh before we get to our number one song on the album our uh, honorable mentions maybe we should play a couple of uh tracks here. yes so what is your honorable mention I'll, I'll, we'll start with you you want to start with mine we'll start with yours all right, we'll start with yours. I'm a nice guy. I'll let you go first. I appreciate and, that. I appreciate yeah. that. My honorable mention, uh, one of my favorite tracks on here is uh, track three, which is called That's Not Me. Um, mm. You mentioned the 12-string uh, guitar, and uh, there's some awesome 12-string guitar parts on uh, this that I love. Um, but I also love the lyrical content of this. It's sort of like a, a youthful, introspective look mm-hmm. at... Um, leaving home um, and doing something and the family and friends kind of saying, what are you doing? That's not who we think you are. And like trying to build independence and do your own thing. Yeah. Um, And uh, in the song, he kind of circles around to the idea that uh, maybe that, you know, his fame and, uh, you know, playing in the band and all those things weren't really all it was cracked up to be and it wasn't him. Yeah, no. 
And uh, that was some of the challenge I think Brian had when he stopped touring and all the pressures of uh, being a you know rock musician and all those things. Uh, so I find that song fascinating from the lyrical content, but I love the music too. So. I'm a little bit scared because I haven't been home in a long time. You need it. Topics you're not expecting for a pop song right there, probably from the Beach Boys in 1966, right? No, I mean, that's what exactly we talked about in the beginning of the show today is how much different this album was from their previous early albums, right? It's all about fun, doing good, you know, having fun in California surf rock. And then here comes this incredibly moving, introspective gaining of independence and freedom song that just did not, at the time was the Beach Boys thing. That just wasn't their thing. They were about, oh, let's have fun, you know, teen rock and doing, you know, and here comes Brian just yeah. doing, yeah. hey, I, my voice needs to be heard in this song. My message needs to be heard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you alluded to this earlier, but there's some uh, interesting um, uh, stories about the Beach Boys, the rest of the band coming back and hearing what Brian was working on and uh, kind of reacting to the music. I think musically they were, um, you know, amazed and they were kind of saying, well, he's the guy with all the talent, so we're going to let him do his thing. We're going to let thing. him do his thing, yeah. But, um, but Mike Love and some of the others were kind of pushing back on the lyrics. They're like, what are you talking about here? Yeah. Like, are, are fans going to like fr- this? Or, and Yeah. And it's worth noting that um, as far as Beach Boys albums go at that time, uh, the album that came out right before this was called The Beach Boys Party. Yeah. <laughs> which was a th- kind of a throwaway that they recorded um, in late 1965 because the record label said we need a mark uh, we need an album to sell at Christmas time for a new Beach Boys product. So they went in and recorded this live thing where they're just all sitting around in the studio having fun and recording. Yeah, and the hit off of that was their version of Barbara Ann, which is just sort of like a jam. It's got mistakes in it. It's sloppy, but it's it, a fun recording. Yeah, it's a fun song. Like that's what they were. They played a lot of good fun songs. They had a couple songs that were back, like extremely you know well done production wise but yep. for the most part i feel like they were just a fun surf rock you know pop band that you know people oh you like the beach boys yeah they're good i like yeah. they're, they're some fun songs so to go from that to this the, to go from, from barbara ann to uh to, yeah yeah it's it's, it's crazy quite a jump. Yeah, yeah it was crazy yeah. for what they were doing but so it played um, off well though let's talk about your uh honorable mention tune yeah so you still believe in me um, extremely good song. Very lyrically limited. Uh, it's not very long in the lyrics department, but I just absolutely love this song because you could tell Brian was really talking to his wife at the time, Marilyn. Yep. Um, in this song, because you still believe in me, and it says, "After all I've done, how can you still believe in me?" You know what I mean? Yeah. You've been patient with me, because he was a lot during that time. He was obviously not mentally doing well, but he was a you know abusing drugs and yep. he was yep. not he was not doing well he was really not doing well he talked about how I don't know how you could still want to be with me you're patient with me I don't know how you could still want to be with me after everything I've been going through and what I'm doing so this song I feel like is just really a Brian's way a call out for his appreciation for his wife and it's honestly probably one of the more I think it's one of the top songs in this album definitely for me personally yeah, yeah. yeah I love the tune too and uh one of the cool production technique uh, things to note on this song is that the opening 
lick, which is played on a piano, but they actually got behind the piano with like a guitar pick and they were plucking the piano strings at the really? beginning of this to get like that kind of really cool sound at the top. So listen for that. That's cool. And then there's also some just weird no- noises and percussive things in here. There's like bicycle bells in this. There's a bike horn in this song. So they used like just some they used everything. off the wall That's things. why I love it too. They just, they, yep. they used whatever they can use to make sounds. That's it. So faithfully Still believe in me. Great track, nice mm. pick, Mike. I like the way um, it starts off with that piano thing that we were mentioning, and then the end of the track is that same like melodic motif with the band doing those beautiful harmonies on that. Just uh, Brian being yeah, Brian. That's really stuff. it. Good stuff. So um, I think we've gotten to that point where we might be uh, talking about our favorite song on this album, number one song, and um, it's it's a great one. It uh, is it one is. that I think everybody knows and holds dear to their heart hopefully it's been in a lot of movies i mean i think of you know 50 first dates with adam sandler this song was a huge prominent you know yeah part of that i haven't movie. seen that movie in a long time I forgot this was in that this was in it oh yeah. it's a huge part of the movie huge part that's of the movie. funny um, but, um before we play this i mean we were just talking uh spitballing while uh the last song was on about what our favorite beach boys songs are and mike asked me this question a lot it's for me sometimes with an artists like the Beach Boys, it's so hard for me to even I agree. say what their best song might be. But we were just throwing out a few ideas. Mike said, Don't Worry Baby was one. Me, I love yeah, that song. Yeah. Uh, I Get Around, for me, is one of the like great early Beach Boys tunes that I absolutely love. I just think the arrangement for mm-hmm. their early surf configuration and the vocal, for, part, yeah. the vocal work on that is just amazing. I love that song. But I agree. Um, this actually would rank in probably my top five i think this is an amazing amazing song without a doubt yeah no yeah. disagreement here that this song without a doubt is one of their one of the greatest songs they've ever done and honestly one of the greatest songs of all time yeah i think it has yeah. to be so i'm a few years older than mike um and i joke about he that tells don't worry if he lets us know don't worry he um tells us. but I, what i love and even at my age and mike's a little closer to teenage years than i am but it, this song just like gives you that feeling of like that teenage longing it's like what is life going to be like when I can do this on my own? Wouldn't it be nice so, to be able to be with my girl and yes. not have to worry about parents coming home yes, or whatever, right? I wrote down pretty much what the song is about. It's kind of like the idea of, you know, getting the excitement of doing what couples get to do, right? You know, living together, waking up next to each other, right? Sleeping together, like the stuff that you... It's about fantasizing for freedom of, of your romance together, Yep, this song. Yep. And that's a recurring theme in literature and movies and yeah uh, yeah it's something that we all relate to and this is just such a great encapsulation of that feeling with obviously incredible um music and incredible melody and all that stuff and incredible great lyrics and start one of probably few pop songs that starts off with a harp too yeah i don't you don't hear that too often a harp <laughs> but the brian makes it work yeah of course he does let's do it uh we're talking of course about wouldn't it be nice the leading uh, track from uh, pet sounds
what a way to kick off that album, huh? Oh my goodness! Uh, right there, honestly, I you just turn, I would just turn the album off and just be like, all right, that's all I need to hear. That, that song, I'm good. Yep, that's I'm yep. I'm good after that. So um, I'm going to suggest that uh, you know we were talking at the top about how we we kind of covered our our favorites on there. We did a couple honorable mentions, but this album obviously is like uh, so jam packed with stuff. Um, that we should just concentrate on one or two more songs. I'm going to throw one out there. Uh, Go ahead. To, uh, and it's um, on the second side of the album, um, a song called Here Today. Mm. Uh, great tune that's just uh, kind of uh, another one of those introspective uh, songs about uh, how uh, love is here and then it can be Go. gone in a flash, especially when you're young and you're in a new romance. And Yep. I like the way he wrote this song because he's talking from um, a perspective of another guy who is actually with the girl that he's with, telling him that, hey, I was with this girl, and th this is how she made this me is, feel. Yeah. And then the chorus goes through that, she made my heart feel sad, she made me feel so, you know, that that stuff, it, the, the way he just rattles it off. I just love the construction of this tune. I think it's really, really cool. It makes you feel so bad, it makes your heart feel sad, it makes your days go wrong, it makes your nights so long, you've got to Ain't that the truth? Yeah. <laughs> Too many times. Yes. Too many times. Yes. Absolutely. Great tune here today. Um, again, here on Epic Albums, we're listening to uh, the Beach Boys Pet Sounds. Um, Definitely an epic album. Oh yeah, you can't really get much more epic than than this one. We were talking is, at the top I, yeah. about how you know this has been hugely influential. One of the things we were talking about that we didn't hit upon uh, before we went on the air was um, sort of the debate about uh, the influence of this album. There, certainly, there isn't a debate about how influential it oh, was yeah. at the time, mm -hmm. um, even before the Beatles had you know Revolver and Sgt. Pepper out. That this was sort of a not only a complete statement, but a use of instrumentation and arrangement that was unique in pop music. Mm -hmm. um, and then there is a little bit of debate about whether or not being released in 1966 at the dawn of the psychedelic era, you know, 1967 was sort of that summer of love that uh, yeah. everybody talks about. Is this album, certainly it may have been influential on that genre, but is this a psychedelic album or not? Uh, yeah. I think that's an interesting conversation. And uh, my take is, I don't think it's necessarily psychedelic. I do think there's some psychedelic elements, though, in this in this album. And interestingly, Brian um, did experiment with LSD before he recorded this album. Yes, he said yes, it, was, it like gave yes. him sort of an experience where he suddenly felt a lot more vulnerable and sort of introspective. And, yes. uh, in the movie, he highlight, they, they show him doing LSD and then writing... Um, some of the songs from this album, right? Which right. you could then obviously you're like, okay, that it has to be psychedelic. But in my opinion, like when we think of psychedelic, I think of like Grateful Dead and you know maybe some Pink of, Floyd, yeah, some early of Pink, Pink Floyd's Floyd, like comfortably, comfortably numb. Like I mean, like songs like that, you know. But I would say now, Brian, when he talked about this album, so it was like a spiritual awakening, like an enlightenment. Like he went very spiritual in this album, right? Kind of almost finding a meaning and a purpose while writing this. Because during this time, like we said, he was off tour. He was dealing with a lot of stuff away from the band. Yep. And he kind of went on this spiritual journey to find who he is like as a writer, as a person. 
So this album had a lot of different stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, sure there was a lot sure of stuff did. going on into this album. So. Yeah, I don't know if I would necessarily say it feels psychedelic to me either. Like even we no. were talking about Jimi Hendrix off air a little bit, um, oh, and boy. certainly like the first Jimi Hendrix album and whatnot has a psychedelic feel to it for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, this, you know, a, a lot of folks and we were reading the Wikipedia article and there was some. Uh, commentation there about people calling this a progressive album which i could probably get behind more than a psychedelic album That's, it certainly was progressive for its time oh and yeah. there a lot of psychedelia was progressive but this certainly doesn't really feel the same as some of those psychedelic no. albums i don't think it's psychedelic progressive i absolutely agree with though it was definitely a progressive album yep, i mean there was yep. unlike anything anybody's really ever heard before i mean the arrangement the instrumentation we talked about just different just the next level stuff that he was doing so, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying psychedelic. Progressive, though, 100% agree yeah. with. Yeah, we can get behind that. So um, we were talking We uh, on our episodes here. We usually try to maybe find any flaws that we can with albums because, <laughs> you know, nothing's perfect, although this, this album, album comes pretty, damn close. It's yeah. pretty damn close to perfect, I have to say. It's tough to find one on this one. So we were talking a little bit about what might be our least favorite songs, and I, I really have to say there isn't a song on here I don't like. Yeah, but, I agree. Um, we kind of honed in on the two instrumental songs because lacking the lyrics, maybe they're some people a little are, bit less compelling than yes. than the others. Some, some people may disagree with that, but some people do love you know instrumental and love the instruments and how that sounds. But I, I'm a big I like to hear the lyrics. I like to hear what you know they have to say or the story about this song and like what they're saying in it yep, for me. Yep. So that being said, the instrumentals on this album are really really cool, and it oh, gives yeah. you a, a feeling when you're not sort of distracted by the lyrics and all the Beach Boys harmonies of what he was doing in the studio with the instruments and just honing in on the music a little bit, which I like. That's a, that's a great point you bring up because we focus so much because vocally they're just so flawless and it's just, yeah, you can listen to it for, you know, for days. You kind of, you know, pay less attention to how unbelievable the arrangement is that Brian came up with and how he just orchestrated this in his head. Like, and we talked about it. He wasn't the most musically inclined person. You know what I mean? It wasn't, you know, had that, what we talked about Yeah, before. like he wasn't classically trained. Yeah, but, no, he yeah. wasn't classically trained. And he just had this vision in his head, and you hear it in this in his, in these instrumental arrangements. It's just beautifully well done. Yeah. So as we look at the two instrumentals on here, one's called Let's Go Away for a While, and the other is the title track of the album, Pet Sounds. I tend to kind of lean towards Pet Sounds. I, w it, I would lean towards Pet Sounds, too. Once again... Agreement, no. Yeah, Pet Sounds for me is the better. So if I had to pick a least favorite song, which is kind of a loaded question, but maybe Let's Go Away for a While is my the song on here that I, I have, am it's, it's sort of excited by the least, but it's still a great, great it's tune. Just, it's getting weird because I, I, I have the same. Yeah. I would say Let's Get Away for a While as well. Pet Sounds, uh, I like. It has sort of an Exotica vibe to it also. It totally reminds me of that genre. So let's take a listen. Pet sounds. Pet sounds, pet sounds. So uh, as we do on uh, our episodes of Epic Albums, we uh, kind of talk about where this album we think ranks in the pantheon of uh, the artist's releases. Um, I probably have listened to and absorbed, I would say, 
a good 80 to 85 percent of the Beach Boys catalog. I kind of fall off a little bit with some of their albums in the uh, early 80s and beyond. Um, But uh, as far as what I've listened to, I could put this uh, into the ranking. I think this is definitely number one. Oh, yeah. Not even a question. Not even really a debate there. This is easily their best album, without a doubt. So, uh, and we were just talking off uh, air here a little bit, um, and I didn't realize we were doing this until we started talking about it today, but we're going to kind of think about all the albums we're listening to on yes. the, the podcast, and then... Um, and create a huge list, hopefully. A list of, and rank them? And rank them. All right. What the best is, what the worst is. So, that, well, we've only done two, so we have Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen, yep. which is very dear to my heart, Yep. and then now we have Pet Sounds from the Beach Boys, and two albums I... I the fact I don't want to rake one or the other. It's tough because I love yeah. both of them so much. Um, but yeah, I'll let you go. For, we'll we'll discuss it. Where do you think this belongs? Um, so I, I love Born to Run. I think that's a great album. And um, in the whole scheme of things, I'm probably less of a Springsteen fan than you are, although I like a lot of stuff. Yeah. But um, I wouldn't even say that Springsteen's probably in my top 10 artists. He might not even be in my top 20 artists. That's, but, a, that's okay. I'll, but Born to Run is... Um, awesome. And yeah. he has a lot of other great albums, too. Yes. Um, uh, the Beach Boys probably would rank higher for me just overall. Um, so just based on that, if I had, if I was reaching for an album and I had to pick one, I would probably listen to Pet Sounds before Born to Run. But it depends on the day, too. They're both excellent albums. But right now I'm going to rank Pet Sounds 1 and Born to Run 2. Okay. So here's my, here's my ranking. Okay. And it's absolutely... I, to pick between these two is is not easy because they're two just phenomenal albums. The fan in me, if I were to reach, right, two albums, I would most likely reach for Born to Run. That's just the fan in me because I love Bruce that much. Yep, yep. But as a music fan and understand the history of music, obviously Pet Sounds is over Born to Run. So I would have Pet Sounds over Born to Run. I like Born to Run more, though. Okay. It has nothing to do with it. I just that's, that's an admirable comment there. It is because I, I got to stick with my guy. I mean, I'm a yeah. Jersey guy. I got to stick with Bruce. We got to fight together. But I would say Bruce is born. I would reach for Born to Run. Maybe a little. It's so tough though. I mean, it really is. I love both these albums so much. Yeah, Bye. and you can make that argument about how influential Pet Sounds was. Certainly, it um, inspired so many different yeah, people. But you know, Born to Run did too. If you think about, yeah. Um, even the aftermath of that album and some of the other records that sound just like just it. like it and were inspired by it. We were talking about the Meatloaf album. That album wouldn't exist if it had to have been for, for uh, Born to Run. I mean, that's sort of a send up of it with heavier guitars and crazier vocals. The yeah, Meatloaf got a little crazy. Yeah, they, they took it to a whole new heights with yeah, that album. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, nah, it, it's so tough because both these incredible, you know, artists, incredible albums. I would probably say Pet Sounds is. Definitely the best album. Well, it's de- definitely better than Board to Run. Yeah. Even yeah. though I love Board to Run, I would I, I would listen to it first. Pet Sounds is number one, though. I agree with you. Pet Sounds is the best album. So years ago, when I was in my 20s, I guess, I ranked my favorite albums. And I don't know if that... I ranked my top 25 albums. I don't know if that list would still hold up 25 years later. Yeah, things change. You change um, Yeah, But Pet Sounds at that time was my number two album, I think, on my list. And I have a number one. I won't tell you what that is because maybe we'll hit that album. Maybe we'll, and I, maybe we'll, that'll be, maybe we will. But uh, yeah, it's a phenomenal record. So another great episode of Epic Albums. Mike, yeah. thanks for uh, doing this with me and we'll do, do this again. We're going to pick another album and do another episode soon. 
Absolutely. Greg, I a, this was a lot of fun. It was a good time. It always is. And um, I think we should end with a track that was uh, criminally overlooked. Um, yeah. And when I was going into my honorable mentions, I really should have had this in there. And I think you might agree. Um, the closing track on the album, Caroline, no. Let's yes, finish with that. Yes, yes, yes. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Without a doubt. Beautiful song of kind of heartbreak and uh, how relationships and people in relationships can change with a beautiful vocal. So quintessential Wilson here. Thanks for listening. Uh, Greg Potter, Mike Jamma here from uh, Epic Albums. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks, guys. Should we ever bring a-